tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wounded. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for one of the founding fathers of Ridiculous History, our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Also, that makes no sense. It doesn't. No, no, we're not spending too much time on it, Max. Uh, they called me Max. Ben. It's the show's called Ridiculous. So right. I, mean, I think we're allowed to make wild claims with no basis in reality. Well, that, I mean, Alex was part of the founding. So sure. I mean, by by blood. Have you guys ever seen Alex and I in the same room? Yes. You know what? Now that you mention it, yes, I have. I have. <laughs> but but maybe you're just one very quick person. Uh, Noel, you raise a great point here. Um, I do want to say on the Founding Fathers thing, it's really just a question of how long we keep our show going. Because if we do this for like 50 years, then, you know, anybody involved before 2030 is like a founding member, right? I mean, I think we'd be even more generous than that. You know, we'd probably just include anyone who's ever been involved as founding fathers and mothers. Yes. And, 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 and whatever else you want to you want to go by. But you know what today's episode's about, Ben? Uh, alleged serial killer, Benjamin Franklin. I was going to I was going <laughs> to be, be silly and say that it was all about the Benjamins. Oh, um, yes. Hundred dollar bills, y'all, you know, cash money that rules all the things in my purview. Cream. Uh, I mean, you know, AKA everything. Yeah, exactly. Cream. Um, cream is an acronym, is it not? It is. Cash rules everything around me. How 
it's in the, it's in the song. <laughs> it's, it's in there. It's How in did the I song. Oh my God. What a fool I am. No, uh, I'll no. tell you who wasn't a fool though. Was, was, was old Benny Franks. He was kind of a dick. Oh yeah. Uh, b- bit of a womanizer, mm-hmm. bit of a Lothario. Uh, again, you know, uh, a bit of a grave robber at times, a uh, bit of a thief of intellectual property, but also creator of a lot of it. Uh, and, and, and talk about founding fathers. He was sort of the founding father of our whole idea of intellectual property in some ways, uh, you could argue. You could. Um, and, and of all the things he did, printing was kind of the thing that he believed in the most, it would seem. Everything else kind of sprang from that. He really believed in the power of the printed word. Mm-hmm. Especially when it was his printed word, as we'll see. Right. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, yeah. a titan in the days of the early United States, actually went up against a real-life titan in a very sneaky, underhanded way. And when we say real-life titan, we mean his almanac rival, a guy named Titan Leeds, which is a very cool name. So, like, like we said, Franklin really loved the printed word, and he wanted to be known as a publisher. And he didn't have too much compunction about out-of-the-box PR stunts. Uh, he, uh, he used to, you know, he did Poor Richard's Almanac. We all know about that. And yet that was an alias Ben Franklin used, Poor Richard Saunders. And in his Almanac, Poor Richard Saunders, a.k.a. Benny F., claimed that astrological calculations would prove a guy named Titan Leeds would die in 1773. And then a hilarious uh, <laughs> a hilarious argument occurred. I think maybe, maybe we start, though, with the story of Titan's father, who has a much more garden variety name, Daniel Leeds. Daniel Leeds is the guy who made the first almanac in the American colonies. But you don't hear about him very much, do you? No, not so much. You don't. You don't hear about really either of them. And there's a good reason for that. So by the 1730s, his two sons uh, inherited his business and, you know, sort of like the, uh, the what is it, the Dossler brothers, <laughs> you know, with Adidas and Puma, mm-hmm. um, they started to compete with each other and eventually split entirely into two different companies, uh, which also were competing. And right around then, there were other authors that had jumped into the whole almanac uh, field, right? Yeah, absolutely. This was a great business to be in, not just because you could make some money, but also because you became sort of the voice of the people. You became the voice on record. And so everybody Mm. wanted to make an almanac. The market became saturated, sort of like how a few centuries later, podcasts would become kind of saturated. Just so the people's, the, we're, we are power to the people here in, in podcast land. Ben, an almanac, I mean, there were initially like different kind of more niche almanacs, right? There would be like a farmer's almanac, you know, with different like seasons and all of that stuff, things that would pertain to a particular industry. Was was the idea to be as inclusive as possible and have these be kind of as like broadly uh, applicable um, as, 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 as could be as to like kind of maximize profits? Yeah, the, the very first printed almanac comes around in the mid-15th century. So Ben Franklin and Daniel Leeds, they're, they're taking this original idea and they're just putting their own spin on it. We have to remember that reading matter was comparatively scarce. People didn't have a lot of books, not near as many as the average person might have today. So you would have this almanac that had this calendar 
that helped you in an agrarian economy understand the passage of the seasons and had recommended mm. advice about crops and crop rotation. But then they would also have other like tangents and trivia, entertaining information, stories, maybe useful tips on various aspects of daily life. And they got really popular. You know, we see this kind of popularity again in the uh, Sears Roebuck catalog, which became like a, a reading material for the everyday person in the U.S. Remember mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, it was essentially like an uh, aspirational guide to the American dream. Yeah, that's well put, I think. At this time, as these almanacs are proliferating throughout the 1730s and, and later decades, the most popular almanac author in the colonies is Titan Leeds, that one son. And he was beefing, like you said, with uh, his other brother. Maybe there's nominative determinism. Maybe the name Titan was just too tight for him not to succeed. Absolutely. I mean, that's got to go to your head a little bit, you know, especially with terms like titans of industry being bandied about willy-nilly. So as we said before, back to Franklin, like he he really did kind of achieve a lot of success in multiple disciplines. He We know he was a postmaster. We know he invented things like the Franklin stove, which he like weirdly didn't patent because he believed that ideas oftentimes should belong to the people, mm -hmm. um, which we're going to get into. That, that, that kind of was a two-way street, though. You got to give him credit for that because he definitely lifted some things from others, but he also allowed his stuff to be lifted. So it was sort of like, you know, a, a fair play kind of situation. Situation. Uh, he achieved a lot of success and fame as an author, as a scientist, of course, a statesman. He was, in fact, never president. I always remember Andy Daly, I think, uh, is in an episode of The Office where he plays like a, a Ben Franklin impersonator and he's like flirting with Pam and he goes, as it turns out, I actually was never the president because I think Michael Scott accuses him of having been the president, to which he retorts. But printer was what he ultimately listed himself as like in, in, in how he wanted to be remembered when he died, like uh -huh. in terms of like the record, like he, he was Benjamin Franklin printer. And with that, the most successful venture uh, and the most uh, probably memorable thing that he contributed to the culture of America uh, would be poor Richard's almanac, which was a smashing success oh, yeah. and is forever to this day, you know, associated with Ben Franklin, even though he didn't necessarily write everything in it. Right. Yeah. And a lot of what we're pulling here comes from the Pennsylvania Center for the Book, an excellent article by Lisa Morgan titled The Prominent and Prodigiously Popular Poor Richard. Uh, I love a good, I love a good alliteration. Yeah. So this, this is interesting because his work as a printer was the inspiration for the vast majority of his early work as a writer, and he loved writing the Pennsylvania Gazette and Poor Richard's Almanacs. His most famous part of these early publications were the Proverbs of Poor Richard, which he just took from people. He just said, you know, who mm -hmm. cares? I'll just take it. It's for the folks. And he learned to be a writer. This is kind of inspiring, I think, for any budding writers in the audience today. He learned to be a writer by taking articles in a publication called The Spectator and just copying and recopying those articles word by word, thinking through it. And other writers have done this before, like just rewriting uh, Don Quixote, for example, which is a long thing to rewrite. 
literally just verbatim, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was just duplicating these. So I guess I get how that would maybe like improve his penmanship. But how do you think this contributed to like coming up with original ideas and why the writing? Is there something kind of like visceral and almost like some kind of osmosis involved with putting pen to paper and like writing and committing an idea, you know, down to paper. And then at the same time, you're kind of like processing it in your brain. Yeah, because uh, different areas of your brain are activated, right, by different modes of learning. So I, that's why writing something down helps you remember it better than repeating it to yourself. This probably gave him a really good firsthand sense of how to structure different things he wanted to write. He was living through the format. Uh, but, you know, he he was going gangbusters, like you said. After the Pennsylvania Gazette, poor Richard was the most profitable enterprise that Franklin had as a publisher. It sold 10,000 copies a year, which is huge. There are a lot of books uh, who can't do that in the modern day. And, uh, you know, like you said, the truth is out now in 2022. Most of the material there was not actually written by him. It was collected and published by him. Uh, And let's get to part of this hoax. We'll call this the hoax. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We said he predicted a death. Uh, he, poor Richard hits Philadelphia, big splash, even in a crowded market. And Benjamin Franklin, who is uh, smarter than the average bear, says this Titan Leeds guy might be eating my lunch. His almanac, which was called an American almanac, is by far my number one competitor. So I am going to take a lesson from the author of Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift. 
And mm. in the preface to the 1773 edition of Poor Richard's Almanac, Poor Richard Saunders reports on the whoosh, whoosh, death of Titan Leeds. Yeah, I mean, it was really kind of like a very clever publicity stunt that probably started out as being like maybe in good fun, but boy, oh boy, did it snowball. And um, this is a little more text than we usually read, but this is an excerpt from Poor Richard's uh, edition that, 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 that uh, put forth this, this speculation. Um, and I think we should read the whole thing. Shall we round Robin it, Ben, or just to take it halfsies? Uh, let's take it halfsies. Let's double dragon it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. Why don't you lead off? My good man. Oh, thank you, sir. Very well. <clears throat> Poor Richard says, Indeed, this motive would have had force enough to have made me publish an almanac many years since had it not been overpowered by my regard for my good friend and fellow student, Mr. Titan Leeds, whose interest I was extremely unwilling to hurt. But this obstacle, I am far from speaking of it with pleasure, is soon to be removed since inexorable death who was never known to respect merit, has already prepared the mortal dart. The fatal sister has already extended her destroying shears, and that ingenious Ooh. man must soon be taken from us. Hot prose. Hot off the presses. Spitting hot fire. Ah, the fatal sister has already extended her destroying shears? Ugh. I, I love, too, how he says uh, he capitalizes death, mm. but then he also capitalizes merit. And uh, dart. He's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah and it's, it's fantastic. I love it. It's so clever. Uh, here we go. He goes on. And then he dies. By my calculation, made at his request on October 17, 1733, 329 post-meridian at the very instant of the conjunction of the sun and mercury by his own calculation he will survive till the 26th of the same month this small difference between us we have disputed whenever we have met these nine years past but at length he is inclinable to agree with my judgment. Which of us is most exact? A little time will now determine. Beautiful, beautiful rendition of I Do Say So Myself. And Max, hope you enjoy We have that. different flavors. We got different flavors. We're not the same. Yeah. We're not the same Poor Richard, but Poor Richard was like not a real thing anyway. Mm -hmm. So we're just kind of channeling our particular spirits of Poor Richard. Yeah, I think it went a little more sinister. But you see, you get the gist. Record scratch, please, Max. There's one problem. Titan Leeds is very much alive. And he also reads almanacs and newspapers. He sure does. Yeah, you know, as, as is uh, probably a smart move for his profession to keep up to speed with all the competition and all that. You know, it, it doesn't indicate that he was necessarily like immediately enraged, but he certainly was a little bit mystified. Again, I. what do you think, Ben? Like, are we meant to read this and interpret it as satire? Because it's like, there was a lot of satire in Poor Richards. That, sure. Again, the character is, is not real. People right. knew that, right? Or did they not know that? I think they knew that. Or at least those that looked close enough. I think a lot of people were probably split. Many folks who are in the know surely knew that 
poor Richard was just another version of, of Ben Franklin. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were people in the colonies who thought there really was a, a poor Richard, you know, but um, I'm certain there. No, no, 100 percent. Yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at, though, is like a lot of those little missives, those little what do you call them? Proverbs or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's some snark and tongue in cheek and all of that. Oh, so yeah. I think there were probably some people maybe saw this and were like, ha ha ha. That's a funny little jab at, at, at your you know competition. Maybe not, though. Maybe it really was meant to be taken at face value. I have a hard time taking the temperature of the time where we <laughs> right. sit here in the present. But what we do know is that Leeds was was understandably irritated, let's just say. And he decided he wanted to clear the air and, and make sure that everyone knew that he was, in fact, very much alive. So he posted uh, or posted <laughs> yeah, like it's a blog. Mm-hmm. He uh, responded in his own publication, the American Almanac with a CK, by the way, the year 1734. And I don't know. You want to read this one, too, Ben? It's pretty good. Yeah. Why don't you start this one off? Noel? All right. Kind reader, perhaps it may be expected that I should say something concerning an almanac printed for the year 1733, said to be written by Paul Richard, or Richard Saunders, who for want of other matters was pleased to tell his readers that he had calculated my nativity, and from thence predicts my death to be the 17th of October, 1733. Okay, first of all, let me stop here real quick. This isn't announcing his death. This is a now. This is like predicting his death, like Nostradamus style. So anyone that didn't think that poor Richard had somehow mastered necromancy or whatever probably should have seen that this was. What was he basing it on? Like he's he's talking about all these mystical things and like the fates and their scissors and all of that. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't think anybody that was you know intelligent would have uh, would have thought that this was true. Uh, But again, a lot of people that were reading this probably weren't super intelligent. So he goes on to say, October 1733 at 22 minutes past three o'clock in the afternoon, and that these provinces may not expect to see any more of his, himself's, performances. And this precise predictor who predicts to omit it proposes to succeed me in writing of almanacs, but notwithstanding his false prediction, I have by the mercy of God lived to write a diary for the year 1734 and to publish the folly and ignorance of his presumptuous author. Nay, he adds another gross falsehood in his said almanac, viz. that by my own calculation I shall survive until the 26th of the said month which is October, which is as untrue as the former, for I did not pretend to that knowledge, though he has usurped the knowledge of the Almighty herein, and manifested himself a fool and a liar. And by the mercy of God, I have lived to survive this conceited scribbler's day and minute whereon he has predicted my death. And as I have supplied my country with almanacs for three, seven years by past, to general satisfaction, so perhaps I live to write when his performances are dead. Thus much from your annual friend, Titan Leeds, October 18, 1733, three hours, 33 minutes, p.m. <laughs> I live for this beef. I swear <laughs> to God. So Not only do I live for the beef, I live for the format of this this, this era of discourse. Oh, it's so it's Kind reader. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so good. I mean, it's just like, just say the thing. You could, I mean, and I, I, I'm joking. I love the, the the dancing around it and all that, but we've really lost this flowery prose. You know, I mean, with Twitter, it's like you're literally limited in the number of characters you can use. But this, all of this giant paragraph to say, 
say, I am in fact not dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And all of the first one to say, this guy is going to die on this date. But I so always, much subtext. I always think about this. Benjamin Franklin, love him or hate him, he would have been an absolute beast on Twitter, man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I can't. And, the uh, densest tweets ever. Yeah, you know? right. Because he would have had to learn to pare down and use economy of language, but he would have just made fire, like like moon rock level <laughs> tweets in terms of like the density of the meaning. I think he would have just shredded on uh, threads. I don't know if he would have done single tweets, but we know, I, I speculate that Ben Franklin, clearly this is a PR stunt. Clearly he knows this is going to get back to Titan leads. He's just sort of tweaking his nose a bit. And uh, Leeds, by the way, releases that response the next year. And Franklin then responds by saying, Leeds is too well-bred to use any man so indecently and so scuriously. Franklin doubles down. And he basically says, it's not Leeds who is writing this because Titan Leeds is a good dude. And whoever's talking this trash is an imposter. Yeah, he doubles down and continues to double down for several years. He does the thing that any good cult leader worth their salt who predicts like an apocalyptic event does they just kind of kick the can down the road and never actually admit that they've made a mistake mm -hmm. that's the key you just never say you're sorry if you never say you're sorry and never like you know admit that you've that you've uh, that you've goofed then uh, to enough people you might as well have not goofed just have the confidence of the stridently wrong lie big mm -hmm. uh so this is uh he says that despite the fact that it's clearly a cover-up and his friend, his dear friend, Titan Leeds, has passed away, uh, he's going he's gonna to keep going because that's what Titan Leeds would have wanted for poor Richard's almanac. And when he puts this out, it's like five pence a copy when he's talking this smack. People love it. It sells out in less than a week. In like two days, it sells out. Franklin has to make three runs of the almanac. He prints three iterations of it just to keep up with sales. And then the kicker, the like ultimate nail in the coffin, if you will, Leeds does eventually die for reals uh, in 1738, at which time Benjamin Franklin as Saunders prints a letter from Leeds ghost saying, actually, I did die at precisely the moment and hour that you mentioned <laughs> with a variation of five minutes, 53 seconds. Wow. No, that's hotspot. I mean, that's not super classy, Ben, I have to say. And I'm a fan of Ben's. And, you know, the American Almanac continued uh, and up through its 1746 issue, which you, you can read this online. The Ghost of Titan Leeds was hovering in the imprint of the issue. And this is because 1746 is supposed to be the final year he had calculated the calendar before actually passing away. So this is slick. This is slick, dangerous satire, and it got pretty dirty, uh, especially when someone's actual death was involved. But this was just one of Ben Franklin's many hoaxes. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. He perpetrated several others, especially... From an early age, too. Right. You heard a silence uh, do good. Yeah, no. Not so much. <laughs> tell, us, tell, tell us about silence do good. Okay, so there's this thing called the New England Courant. And between April and October 1722, it starts receiving and printing a series of letters by someone claiming to be a middle-aged widow called Silence Duguid, which very much doesn't sound like a real name. And she's basically writing this Onion-style send-up of life in colonial America, talking about drunk locals, religious hypocrites, uh, how society is terrible to women, how weird totally. hoop petticoats are, all this stuff. This would have been stuff that locals would recognize too, like, oh, yeah. like like almost like a gossip rag. You know what I mean? Like a gossip column, because uh, this would have been a small community. Also, <laughs> I love this part: the pretensions of Harvard College. Right, know? right. And these became a smash. This, this silent do. It's hard to even say. It's a real mouthful. Silence, do good. Letters became quite popular, and apparently, uh, she was quite popular with the fellas. Oh, who yeah. were like trying like I mean, how do I get a date with this broad? <laughs> and they got catfished. That's how they talked back then. Yeah, yeah, they got catfished so hard. It turned out that uh, Silence Do Good was actually Benjamin Franklin, a 16 year old 
teenage Benjamin Franklin, who was working as an apprentice at his brother James's print shop in Boston. So he goes to show that that Franklin came by satire and a love of printing, honestly, like from a very early age, like working as an apprentice in his brother's shop, like he saw the uh, the potential, the possibilities of, of the, the written word. And he obviously used it to great effect um, and was also a real jokester. Initially, though, apparently he did not uh, tell his brother, you know, he didn't give up the ghost. Uh, not, not an actual ghost this time, but um, he didn't tell his brother that it was him, in fact, because he was worried that his brother would be cross, which, in <laughs> fact, he was, mm-hmm. uh, because he believed that, um, well, a couple of things. He probably believed that, you know, if it came out that, you know, this was, this was like, totally made up, that people wouldn't, uh, he would lose credibility, I imagine, right. especially if it was something that was printed as, like, this is real. But he, he also was concerned that all of these compliments, it's kind of weird. Because a lot of them were sort of like it's sexual in nature, right? right? They were like men saying, hubba hubba, silence do good. Uh, I want to marry that. I want to wife that. Uh, he was worried that it would make ben, young Ben Franklin vain, uh, which, as we know, he did grow up to be quite a vain man. So maybe there was some some truth to that or some sand to those concerns. Yeah, yeah, there was possibly some sand to it. Uh, and this was just one of the many hoaxes that he would uh, he would participate in. And, you know, I love culture jamming. I love doing, like, I put missing boomerang photos up and stuff like that. I just think it's a, it's a fun way to kind of get, you're get your mind out of routine. You're what? a real rascal, Ben. You're a real oh, ra- irascible rascal. Didn't it? I got to show you guys this one. I had put them up around the area of our old office. I hate that we have to say old office now, where it was just like missing boomerang. Just stand here for a minute. And, and I don't know if anybody ever actually stood there. I'm sure not. Someone could have gotten hurt, Ben, either physically or at the very least emotionally. emotionally. What happens when that boomerang never comes around? I know. We all learn. How do you trust anyone ever again? <laughs> right. Uh, so we know that. All right. Poor Richard's Almanac had other weird things. And I think this is especially relevant to uh, your earlier point, Noel, about how any classic would-be prophet will just sort of move the goalpost of their predictions. Uh, he, oh, yeah. Yeah, in 1737, he's been making this almanac for five years now. He includes what he calls enigmatical prophecies in the almanac. And uh, they're pretty wild. They sure are. Uh, let's see. Uh, he predicted that a great storm would flood all of the major cities of North America, causing them to be completely underwater. Yeah, he also said a great number of vessels fully laden will be taken out of the ports by a power with which we are now at war. Also, uh, that an army of 30,000 musketeers will land and sorely annoy the inhabitants. That's putting it lightly. Yeah, a year passes. None of this appears to come true, at least the way that the readers interpret it. People are about to uh, label Benjamin Franklin a, uh, you know, a flim flam artist, but then he pops back in and says, actually, all three of these prophecies have come to pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently rainstorms uh, had placed every city underwater. Ugh. Get it? Ugh. Under the <laughs> also that the power of wind, as in the you know, the blowy, mm-hmm. the blowy bits, mm-hmm. uh, had taken fully laden vessels out of ports, you know. 
through filling their sails and propelling them in a forward movement. Oh, yeah. And what about the musketeers? He said, well, more than 30,000 musketeers or mosquitoes have definitely annoyed the inhabitants of the colonies. Groan. But don't I'm sorry. Is is he is he implying that musketeers and mosquitoes are like it was like a pronunciation joke? Maybe or is he musketeers? I think it might be musketeers. 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 there we we got well done, Ben. You got us. So totally, there isn't a there isn't a second e at the end. Yeah, musketeers. That's how that's how he gets us is because he's not spelling it right. Ah. By the way, uh, speaking of, of, of hilarious uh, and, and maybe often overlooked misspellings, I went to a hair metal concert yesterday for a work-related thing at uh, the Brave Stadium. Uh, it, was, it was Poison, Motley Crue, Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, and Def Leppard. But can either of you, without looking online, tell me how Def Leppard is spelled? Uh, D-E-F-L-E-P-P-A-R-D? A-R-D? I think there's just one P, but uh, I, I always, whatever I've written it, I've just spelled it D-E-A-F-L-E-O-P-A-R-D. But it, it is two P's. It is two P's. You guys win absolutely nothing, but my undying adoration. But yeah, I, I don't know. The sound cues going on right now say we won a lot. Man. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, you definitely did. But my question is like, wh- what's being accomplished here? Like, is this meant to be like, we're, we're crazy. We spell words weird. Um, it, it's a similar sensibility to what, what you know. I mean, it's all about the malleability of the, of the English word. And mm-hmm. you can do fun things with spelling and, and sure. inject little puns and kind of create your own ways of spelling things. But I digress. I think what Franklin did was both genius and like he was kind of one of the original trolls, you know. Oh, uh, such a troll. Such a troll. Up there was Swift for sure. I think we should do an episode on on Swift's uh, trolling because he took it to a new level, Jonathan Swift. So let us know uh, what other historical trolls you would like to hear about. Get thee to the Facebooks or the Twitters and find us on Ridiculous History. Find us on Ridiculous Historians. We do love to hear from everyone on there. Also, you can find us not just as a show, but as individuals. Yeah, we're people. We exist outside of this show. I'm more um, of but we do push things. Else. Yeah, that's fair. What do you always say, Ben? You're a thing that happens to people. Yeah, kind uh, of. Yeah. I like it. I like it when you happen to me, and I think that the ridiculous historians would agree oh, they sweet. also like it, like being caught up in your wake. Uh, but you can find me uh, if you want to get caught up in my internet wake exclusively on Instagram at How Now Noel Brown. How about yourself, Ben? Well, you can uh, get a preview of all the uh, strange things I'm working on, both for uh, Ridiculous History and many other podcasts that I touch over on Instagram, where I'm at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N, or over on Twitter, where I'm at Ben Bolin, H-S-W. And while you're on Twitter, be sure to swing by and give a good ridiculous historian hello to our own Mr. Max Williams. Yes, come check me out. I will be on there, I don't know, maybe tagging Jonathan Strickland and Ben's uh, posts, because why not? Why not bring (laughs) more of him into our lives? Do what thou wilt. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at ATL underscore Max Williams. And that's where all that fun and excitement will be. Thanks, as always, to Max. 
thanks to our composer, Alex Williams. Uh, thanks, of course, to another uh, founding member of the show, Casey Pegram, who I was delighted to see in person quite recently. Spoiler alert, folks, uh, he may be returning for a guest spot pretty soon. Thanks also to our very own favorite troll, Mr. Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.